Well, it's a uh, distinct privilege to be able to stand here where so many faithful men have opened God's Word, and um, by God's grace, uh, I'll be able to say something of consequence from His Word today. And um, <clears throat> I just want to clarify this image that you've seen a few times this morning uh, that's not a political donkey. Uh, <laughs> a few had asked. <laughs> uh, that is a biblical donkey. Had the text we were going to today referenced an elephant, there would have been a picture of one of those there. But the text says donkey, and so that's what we have to deal with. I guess you could subtitle this sermon, A Theology of Donkeys, um, but, uh, but nonetheless, we're calling it a glorious redemption. It is not my goal today to wow you with my intellectual prowess. I don't have letters after my name like other people who stand in this pulpit do. But what I do have is a salvation that I share with many of you in this room. And if I can just talk with you for the next little bit about this glorious redemption that we have, this newness of life that is ours because there is a God who is excellent and worthy of praise, who has called us out of darkness into marvelous light. If I could just talk about that for a little bit, that's all I want to do. So do this with me. If you have a, a note sheet there, I want you to write two words on your notes. Whether you take notes the rest of the morning or not doesn't matter to me. I just want you to write these two words somewhere on that piece of paper. And those who are very... Um, uh, mathematical and analytical will probably put these words like nice and neat. Some of you will, will write these two words and doodle on them throughout the service and they'll be really beautiful. I don't care where you write it, how you write it, but write these two words on your paper. The first word is only two letters, so I shouldn't have to spell it for you. Me. M-E, the word me. The other word, somewhere on the paper, I don't care where you put it, just write the word God. We'll come back and visit those two words later on. But my hope today, my goal today, as I stand up here this morning to open God's Word, is to, to somehow, in your mind and my mind, take this perception that God is way up here, and we are way down here, and however big that gap is, to just make it one notch farther apart because we have a glorious, awesome, majestic God, and we are unworthy of the redemption that he has offered to us. And as we investigate that, as we look at that, as we meditate on that in our daily lives, not just this morning, but as you have an opportunity to think on that and pray about that and to worship God because of that, I pray that, that that gap gets so much bigger and bigger and bigger. Not that your relationship with him gets farther apart, because that is far from the case. But as our perspective and our awe of him grows, our love for him will grow in the same way. So that's my goal. When we see that gap growing bigger and bigger, it puts Romans 12.1 into better perspective for us. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that verse. If, if not by reference, you'll recognize these words. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, live your life as a living sacrifice. In, view, in light of what God has done for us, what has he done for us? Well, he, he living 
existing in eternity in heaven, created a, a, a planet and put people on it and watched us turn our backs on him. Jesus, the word who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, ended up on a criminal's cross, dying an excruciating death to be buried, but not to stay there, yet to rise again and to be, uh, to be ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us, sending his Holy Spirit to dwell with us and in us, all because we deserved it? No. That's what God has done for us. And as we keep that perspective of our unworthiness before God and his holiness and his total otherness than what we are, we will find ourselves worshiping him, loving him, walking with him in more victory and more obedience than we had before. There's something about humbling ourselves before that holy God that empowers us to walk victoriously in him. So let's examine this morning our unworthiness before a holy God. Now, someone might say, yeah, I I was unworthy, but but God picked me up out of the mud, and he cleaned me off, and he set me on a rock, and I can walk in victory, and I can have abundant life, as promised in John 10, and I'm different than before. I'm a new creation. All things have gone away. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, Ephesians 2, 6. And what are you talking about this past? I'm supposed to forget the past, right? Yes. Forget the shame and the guilt of the past, but never forget who you were and how God saved you from where you were. Scriptures talk about us loving our enemies, praying for those, and and doing good to those who curse us and despitefully use us. God has done for us the ultimate in that. He, the perfect being, us, his enemy, those who had turned our backs, those of us who turned our backs on him, he gave his life for us. Romans 5 says that for a good man, someone might dare to die. But while we were still sinners, while thumbing our noses at God, he said, I will redeem him. I will redeem her. He bridged that gap. Now, to be clear, I want to uh, explain some pronouns. English teachers in the house Uh, or students that have been paying attention in English class throughout the years, uh, there's always an antecedent to a pronoun. And when I say we have been redeemed, when I say God did this for us, who are we talking about? We're not talking about every single person. We're not even talking about every person in this room necessarily. We are talking about those who have believed what God has done for us in sending Christ to be our sacrifice those who by God's divine initiative have responded by both belief and repentance to the call of God, confessed and received Christ as Lord. Having done that, you have experienced a transformation in you. The old has gone, everything has become new, and a sanctification process has begun. That is the we that I speak of this morning. If this is you, then you're included in every time we use the word we and us today. If that is not you, today can be the day that you join the we and the us. For those of us who are there, who know this, salvation, let's do this this morning. Let's explore the vastness of the chasm. I love that song, Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood, talks about the chasm 
this, this gap that's between us and God. Let's explore the vastness of that chasm that God has bridged to redeem us, and may we, as a result, respond with a worship-filled response worthy of the findings that we make today. We will benefit from this journey together by gaining a more accurate perspective on what God has done. It will lead us to an attitude that is grateful, a heightened awareness of our sin, a stronger desire to flee temptation, an increased ability to fulfill the command to love one another, an increased capacity to resist the devil, and to eradicate sin from our lives to the highest degree possible, striving to do as Paul says in Romans 12, 12, to truly live our lives as a living sacrifice. Now, if, if any one of us could actually suppress every sinful desire and live perfect from here on out, completely giving ourselves sacrificially to the Lord with never a thought or motive that has any sin behind it. If we, any one of us could ever do that, it would still fall short of being that living sacrifice God has called us to be because we have been redeemed from a place of unworthiness and him being the perfect sacrifice for us is impossible to ever repay. We can only strive to do our best and humbly admit that we'll never completely do it. We gain this perspective that we need by being students of God's word. God gave us his word to show, him, show us himself to us and to show ourselves to us. It's a tool by which we investigate the grandeur of God and a mirror into which we can gaze, must gaze, to see simultaneously both how loved and how unworthy of that love we are. Uh, we read earlier this morning in our, in our reading that the, the commandments, the law, was given to lead us to a place of salvation to, to, as a promise of the hope that was coming in the seed, which was Jesus Christ. The law then is a guide to lead us to our need for redemption. Pastor Jay just finished a series not too long ago on the Ten Commandments, which exposed to many of us in this room who are honest enough to look at ourselves that, wow, it is impossible to live a perfect life. Uh, by the way, Pastor Jay, I'll just throw this out to you as you're in Israel now and watching this sometime in the future. Uh, there are over 600 more commandments, so I'm looking forward to the series on the rest of them. Um, <laughs> If anybody can do it, Pastor Jay can, so. But all these commandments, the Ten Commandments and the other 600, given the law of Moses, the five books of the Torah, given to show us our need for God, to show us who God was, a God of mercy and love. No one's able to obey all the commandments. Uh, in fact, even the, the, the Hebrew rabbis confess that. I'll quote from a few of them this morning as we go through the message. But uh, a rabbi, Katz, says, in fact, no individual today would be able to observe each and every commandment, especially since many are directly connected to the rituals of the ancient temple, which is not there anymore. Many others deal with agricultural laws in the land of Israel, which except for a handful of Jewish farmers are not applicable for the vast majority of Jews. So how does a Jew observe the law when much of what the law was about can't be done anymore? 
Or how do we, as followers of Christ today, how do we follow that law if much of it is very difficult or impossible to even apply to our lives? For instance, Numbers 18 says, everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of all unclean animals you shall redeem. And their redemption price at a month old, you shall redeem them. You shall fix at five shekels of silver. Who carries shekels in their pockets these days? Are you redeeming your clean and unclean animals as the law prescribes? No, these have been fulfilled uh, in Christ who gave himself for us. Many of these ceremonial laws don't uh, apply anymore. Christ did what needed to be done by going to the cross. So what do we do with all these commandments? The rabbi I quoted before continues on and says, For some, the most meaningful connection might be through acts of loving kindness. Ultimately, our behavior and relation to others should be conducted in this loving and kind directive. So a Hebrew rabbi says, the Old Testament law, the ones that we can't do anymore, well, we should just kind of have them in our mind that this is what we do, and this is how we live kind and how we do nice things. Other rabbis say things like, trying to follow the 613 laws give voice to our ultimate values. It kind of is a way for us to express who we are and what we believe and what's important to us. While those are nice sentiments, I believe that many of these laws that were in the Old Testament were simply a picture or an illustration or a reminder something given to the Hebrews to help them see who God is, see who he was, remember what he had done, and to help them walk in obedience to a holy God. Some of them illustrate very effectively our redemption. Christ came not to throw all these laws out, but to fulfill them. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ has fulfilled the law in his single sacrifice, perfect sacrifice on the cross. Now, we don't throw out every law. Ceremonial and civil laws may not apply, but moral laws direct us in God's command, which says, be holy as I am holy. They are instructions in how we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And it must, we must, as followers of Christ, remember to do those laws that are part of that command, to love our neighbors and to be holy as God is holy. Anybody do those perfect? No. And thank God for the verse that was referenced in the prayer just a moment ago, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And that is a real justification and a real forgiveness that we experience. So let's look then into the book this morning and try to make sense of this logo that I have whet your appetites with. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. In light of the fact that, that the law has been given and there are pictures of redemption in there and there are things that we need to follow and God did all of this with purpose, Romans says that those things that were written before were written for our learning. Second Timothy says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. 
I'm going to give you a couple verses today that you may have up until this day thought, how in the world is that useful? How was that written for my learning? And to be honest, I had to wrestle with it for some time before I could see how this might apply to my life. Exodus chapter 13, we'll start in verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, remember, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with, with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute as it is appointed time from year to year. What's wrong with leaven? Did anybody enjoy some leaven this morning? Does anybody have a tradition of going into like country donuts on a Sunday morning? You had some leaven. There's nothing wrong with it. So why pull it out of the bread for this time and place? Well, because it's a reminder. And we know from teaching in the New Testament that leaven can be a picture of what sin is, something that, that grows and festers in us. And so we look back at texts like this, and we see that this is an illustration of, one, God's redemption from Egypt, that they couldn't, didn't have time to let the bread rise, and it was, they, they took off, and it's a reminder of the haste in which God delivered them from captivity. It's also a picture of sin and how we are to eradicate that from our lives as God assists us and helps us do that. So there's nothing wrong with leaven, but there's a picture of redemption within this. Continuing on in verse 11, this is where it starts to get a little dicey. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first that opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice the Lord all the males that first opened the womb. Pause. Is anyone wondering if they had an older brother? Aren't you glad we don't live in Israel? No. Um, you, you wouldn't kill your firstborn child. There was a way to redeem that with a lamb, but that's another story for another day. But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. I wonder, I wonder why I never saw this on a coloring sheet in Sunday school. 
I mean, you have the pictures, you know, David and Goliath, and you color it, and, and Noah in the ark. And I don't ever remember being handed a sheet of paper, almost like a choose-your-own-adventure. Imagine the Sunday school teacher talking to his, like, second graders, like, okay, it's time for your coloring, coloring pages. This is a choose-your-own-adventure. If you want to redeem the donkey, here's a picture of a donkey with a lamb slain next to it. You can color that one. Or if you'd rather, here's a donkey missing its head. Would you like to color that one? I don't know why these things don't make the Sunday school. We'll talk to Heather Sukup about that, see if we can get that in one of them. Um, but, you know, why are, we, why are we cutting the heads off donkeys? Why are we redeeming donkeys with lambs? Is there something wrong with donkeys? Like the leaven, is there something wrong with having leaven in the bread? No, is there something wrong? There's nothing wrong. There's no reason. No other society back then killed the firstborn donkey or redeemed the firstborn donkey with the lamb. This is unique to the Israelite community. Why would, we, why would God expect this? I believe here in this obscure command, we get a picture of God's love for us. A symbol, a reminder of what God has done for us. So many parts of the Old Testament are there to give us images of God's love, whether it's the sacrifice of lambs at the temple, the scapegoat that is let go on Yom Kippur, the ram that was provided in place of Isaac as Abraham was, prompt, was instructed to, to kill his one and only son, the Passover meal, the, the killing of lambs, and the spreading of blood on the doorposts of the home to symbolize the application of a sacrifice in place of so the oldest wouldn't be killed. Uh, so many pictures in the Old Testament are pictures of our redemption. Jesus even says as much. He rebukes the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 46, when he says to them, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Well, I don't remember Moses writing anything about Jesus, Yeshua, the promised Messiah to be born of a virgin named Mary. He didn't prophesy Bethlehem, Micah did. What did Moses write about Jesus? There's so much that's a picture of how Christ would live his life and die for us. The Pharisees miss it. The Gospel Coalition, I'll put this quote on the screen for you. The Gospel Coalition uh, writes an essay called Christ in the Old Testament, and they say this, God announced beforehand in type and shadow, promise and prophecy, the redemption he would accomplish through his incarnate son. He did this so that his people might believe in the promised Messiah prior to his coming, and so that those who know the Christ who has come might have a greater understanding of the work that he accomplished through his suffering and glory. We exist today in the second half of that quote, those who have believed and know Christ having a greater understanding of the work that he accomplished through his suffering and glory by looking at how Christ was pictured in the Old Testament. This obscure question about donkeys still lingers in your minds, though, I'm sure. Why redeem donkeys with lambs? You see, everything else, according to the Old Testament text, everything else was redeemed either by its own kind or by shekels. In Numbers, we read a moment ago that unclean animals were redeemed by the price of five shekels at the temple. So if you had a camel... The firstborn didn't have to die. Nothing had to die in his place. You took some shekels to the temple. 
and the same for other unclean animals that you may have had as an Israelite. Clean animals, cattle, sheep, goats, would be redeemed by the death of their own kind. That firstborn would have to die for itself, and then the subsequent offspring would be allowed to live. A picture of first fruits that Christ died first and we get to live. But there's this strange donkey clause that says, of all the unclean animals and all the clean animals, there is one. There is one unclean animal that cannot die for itself, nor is it redeemable by any monetary gift. It is only redeemable by the death of a lamb in its place. It's just a donkey. What's so special about a donkey? Let me see if I can go very monotone and academic for a moment. The domestic donkey is a hoofed mammal in the same family as the horse. It derives as African wild animal, Equus africanus, and may be classified as a subspecies there. What is a donkey? There are more than 40 million donkeys in the world, mostly in underdeveloped countries where they are used principally as pack animals. While working donkeys are often associated with those living at or below subsistence, some numbers of donkeys are kept for breeding or as pets in developed countries. The donkey. Let's think about this for just a moment. If the law is a shadow of things to come, and if within the law are pictures of our redemption, who is the donkey? Or if you prefer, because you're a King James only, who is, who's the donkey? That's you. That's me. The unclean. Who in this redemption story is the lamb? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. In the picture of deliverance from Egypt, the life of the firstborn of the Egyptians was taken, so the life of the Israelite could leave free. In Egypt, who was the free man? The Egyptian. Who was the slave? The Israelite. In the deliverance from Egypt is a picture of the free man having to die that the slave might be set free. Donkeys were the unclean. Donkeys were the slave. The only unclean animal that was ever redeemed by a lamb. The clean dying for the unclean. The unholy redeemed by the holy. Now, there were options. The master of the donkey could choose. Do I redeem this donkey or do I slay it? God has lovingly chosen to provide a redemption for us, the donkeys, by saying it doesn't have to die. It can be redeemed by a lamb. John 3.16, for God so loved the donkeys that he gave his one and only lamb 
that if anyone believes, they may not perish, but will have eternal life. All of this was done when? Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners. He chose from the foundation of the world to redeem us, the donkeys, with the perfect lamb. We need this glorious redemption because we are to be slain without it. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. That's what we deserve as unclean, as the donkeys of this world. We deserve that death. But God chose in his loving wisdom to redeem us anyway. The holy sent to redeem. That is the picture of redemption. Let's talk about the purpose of our redemption. Well, if you go back to my eloquent speech on what a donkey is, it's a pack animal. Donkeys had value in the nation of Israel. They were needed. A Hebrew family would have sacrificed the lamb gladly to save the donkey because the donkey was of great importance to carry water, to carry seed, to carry harvested grain, to, do, to use, use them to help move building supplies. It's like owning a pickup truck back in the day. Hey, I got to move something. Do you have a truck in Israel? Hey, I got to move something. Do you have a donkey? They were useful, practical in so many ways. You and I, I will suggest this morning, are needed as pack animals in the kingdom of God. This is not to carry a heavy load, but this is to carry a message of redemption that the world needs to hear. I'll ask you to confess this with me. I am a donkey with a message. I am a donkey with a message. Well, you'd rather think of yourself as something a bit more oh, I don't know, a prophet rather than a donkey? Well, let me just tell you this. Sometimes prophets didn't get it right, but the donkey did. In, in the story of Balaam, he was summoned by Balak to go curse the Israelites. And along the way, the donkey saw an angel and walked into, and banged Balaam's leg into the wall. And eventually the donkey just sat down. And as Balaam begins to beat his donkey, what does the donkey do? The donkey talks. He's a flying talking donkey, right? He's, he's a special donkey. And the angel says to Balaam, if it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared the donkey. If the donkey doesn't do its job, Balaam dies. If you and I don't carry the message that we've been given, if we're not pack animals for the gospel, if we're not living that, the gospel doesn't go out, then there's a world out there that doesn't hear the message it needs to hear. And if the donkey doesn't turn away and do its job, certainly he would have killed Balaam by now. Later the angel says to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. Later, Balaam tells Balak, I can't say whatever I want. I can only speak what God puts in my mouth. And Balaam goes on to speak a message that God wants him to speak, not the curses, but the blessing. You and I are saved with the purpose of being used in the kingdom of God to carry the message. It's not just messages that we have to carry. 
It's not just our message that we carry. There's a donkey in the New Testament that carried Jesus into town. So we carried not just a message, but we carry the actual hope of the world in Jesus. Do you carry Jesus as you go through life? You have a purpose. You were redeemed for a purpose. Like Onesimus, the runaway slave of Philemon, whose name means useful. Paul says he was useless to you when he was with you, but now that he's become a brother in the Lord, he is useful. As a redeemed donkey, you have a unique purpose to walk out what God has prepared in advance for you to do, Ephesians 2.10. You are a masterpiece in process with steps ordained that you should walk in them. You have a purpose. What keeps you from living out your purpose? I'll use this thought as a transition to take us to our final point, the God of our glorious redemption. But what keeps you from living out your purpose? Is there some shame or some thing you've done in the past that, that you don't want to live out or don't feel you can live out? How bad have you messed up? How bad did Adam mess up in the beginning? Well, he kind of subjected the whole world to judgment, right? Yet in Luke chapter 3, in the genealogy of Christ, it says, so-and-so, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. When he gets to Adam, it calls him what? The son of God. Adam messed up big, but still had a place in God's plan and was called the son of God. What about this son of God? When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended like a dove, and a voice from heaven was heard saying what? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. What was the list of accolades that Christ had to his name at that point? How many miracles had he done? How many temptations had he resisted that are recorded for us? Yes, there's that one time when he was eight years old, left at the temple and doing his father's will, right? But other than that, he doesn't have a list of accolades, and yet the father says, apart from the accolades, the fact that you are my son makes me pleased to send my spirit on you, pleased to send you with purpose to fulfill a mission. It makes me pleased to empower you, to give you purpose to redeem a people. I believe the Father looks at us when we are his children, his sons and daughters, and says, I am pleased to put my purpose on you. I am pleased to give you my spirit. Now go live out that purpose, you redeemed donkey. So let's look at this God of our glorious redemption. God has a purpose in redeeming us. Why did God put us here in the first place? The, the, the arguments are long, and the books have all been written, and I've heard a number of different explanations. I heard this explanation not too long ago from a guy named Abdu Murray. He's the president of a group called Embrace the Truth Ministries. And I'll paraphrase what he said for you this morning in, the, in, the, in the answering the question, why did God make us and why does he redeem us? You've probably heard, and this is uh, Abdu Murray's paraphrase, you've probably heard that God created us for relationship. He created us for worship, that he would have a people that would worship him, that he would have a people that he could have a relationship with, and that is all true. But think about God as the triune being that he is. One in essence, three in, in persons, perfect in love for himself and within himself, 
living within a host of angels that worship him, that he created for that purpose. He has the perfect expression of love and relationship within himself. He has no need of relationship with people. He has no need of worship from people because many angels fell from heaven, but some chose to stay and worship him. So there really is no need of him to have us. So why would he make us? And Abdul Murray makes this point, that he created us not for him to have relationship with us, but for us to have a relationship with him. It was simply an act of love that he said, I am who I am, majestic in glory, and I want to give myself to a people. So I have to create them and redeem them to do that. We are not so much a gift to him as he is a gift to us. Let that sit in your mind for just a minute. That is the God of our glorious redemption. The God who lovingly gave himself to us a totally unworthy people. This is the mystery of the gospel, that we, the donkeys, would be welcomed into a relationship with him. David knew that. It led him to write the Psalms. It led him to worship in profound ways, this majestic, awesome, holy God. And then he would say, what am I that you are mindful of me? Paul knew this God and considered himself the worst of sinners. Why? Because he had done the worst things. Well, he'd done some bad stuff, but that's pretty arrogant to claim that you're the worst. But as we get to know God more, we realize how, fall, how, false, how far short we fall. This is the image of God that is worth gazing at. This is the glorious God of our redemption that we must contemplate. This is why we go to church, to celebrate this God. This is why we do what we do in our Christian life, to celebrate and honor and worship this God as the living sacrifice in response to what he has done. We get to celebrate that. May this church, may no church that professes the name of Christ think that we gather for any other reason but to exalt and glorify this God of our glorious redemption. Let's close this morning. I'm not going to land the plane. That's what Pastor Jay does. He's a pilot. He thinks he's the only guy up there in the cockpit to land. Let me throw this illustration. Let's, let's pull this ship into harbor. And, and what I need from you is I need somebody over here to grab a rope and throw it over. And I need somebody over here to be watching this side and somebody over here. Because we don't, we don't, Pastor Jay doesn't do this. I'm giving him a hard time. I love the guy. He doesn't land the plane on his own as if he's in control of all of this. He wants you all to participate just as I'm suggesting this morning. But the application of what is said from up here is a, is a community effort that you're responsible in this. We don't just land the plane and you get off. We bring the ship into harbor, and everybody has a role in making sure that it happens. So let's bring the ship to harbor. Here's the response of the redeemed this morning. If you are one of the we, one of the us, commit yourself to knowing more intimately the God of your redemption as you examine exactly what it is that he did for you. Commit yourself. 
to growing in your understanding and knowledge of this glorious God. This journey of knowing God will prove more satisfying than any other, yet at times it will be the realization of how much you cannot know and understand that is the most rewarding. In the 40-day Lenten devotional, there were a couple quotes. One said this, the more we know God, the more we become aware of how unknowable He is, and yet we only desire to know Him more. The more we grasp what He is revealing, the more we realize how beyond knowing He is. I'll repeat that application. Commit to knowing Him more. It will be rewarding. And it's sometimes frustrating because you realize how much you don't know, but it will drive you to want to know Him more. In knowing God more, it will increase our ability to honor Him with our lives. C.S. Lewis says this, To love you as I should, I must worship God as creator. When I have learnt to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. In learning to love God and know who He is and to, to worship Him for the glorious redemption that you have, you will become better at obeying both the first and second of the greatest commandments. And if you are not one of the we, if you are not one of the we and us, today can be that day that you respond to the glorious redemption as the call goes out to all who would believe on his name to become the sons and daughters of God. I would close with one quick quote about, uh, from a, a Hebrew rabbi. In talking about the 613 commandments, he says that it's a great act of love to offer these to us, and he says, when one receives such a gracious invitation, the least one can do is RSVP. That's in response to the commandments. How about in response to the redemption? Will you RSVP? Will you respond to God and to the invitation that he is giving to you, to me, to us today, to worship him for his lavish love that he's expressed to us in our redemption. The worship team is going to come back up and, and sing this song they sang right before the message, How Good Is He? And as we close this morning, there will be people up front who can pray with you if you have questions about what's been discussed this morning. If you just have general prayer needs, I welcome you to come. Uh, but let's close in prayer this morning as the team comes to lead us in this song of worship, How Good Is He? God, I thank you this morning for the glorious redemption that we have, for you, the God behind it, who has lovingly given yourself to us in giving yourself to us, you have done more than we could ever deserve. And so if there's nothing else you ever do, you have already done it all. And we worship you for that this morning.